Hey everyone, what's good with you all? I uh, hope you're doing well in the real world. I'm Paida, your host for today, and welcome to the Art Meets a podcast. So today I'm really excited to be joined by Stembilem Sezane, who is a South African artist working in performance, photography, as well as film. So her work is incredibly important and I think fits in really well with today's theme which is I really do have to insist on inserting myself into the narrative, reclaiming history and expanding the archive. So Stair's body of work really does look at the archive, particularly of Black women, and how they have either been erased or omitted from the archive or historical memory. So it's going to be a really great conversation, and we're going to talk about the ways and strategies that Stembile brings these stories into her work, but also to the larger public imagination. Sit tight and enjoy. First question around your work is like, what is what do you see as being the most, or what is the value of inserting yourself into history or the archive that you currently work with, especially like in, in the context of South Africa and Africa, and also like the decolonial archive. Okay. Um, so I guess I'll start by saying that um, our names are our first um, recorders or recording of who we are. Um, and that in itself becomes an archive because it, it it's passed down from um, generation to generation Well, some names are. And if your name is not passed down from like your grandparents or great grandparents, you still are a marker that you existed within time. And so when we think about um, history as an archive, that is a personal history. And, and then there's like official history, um, which you would find, I suppose, in like historical books and museums and such places that record history. Mm-hmm. And I think it is very important um, that women, um, especially black women, are intentional and inserting themselves into history or into official memory or official history, because for a long time they have been left out. And this is where we start to bring back our narratives and our importance and what we have created um, through societies, which is something that I think through colonialism um, has been erased, absorbed, or yeah, or even muted in some sort of way. Yeah, I mean, you talked about like women coming into the archive and I'm also curious, like when you when you do your work, your performances or video work, you are obviously coming from it from the point of view of women, especially black women. So I'm wondering Mm -hmm. in your persona or your your performances and your work, what is that womanhood for you and is it a personal womanhood? Is it a communal womanhood? And I mean, who are these women? Whether they're like fictional, are they every woman? Um, so who is this particular woman? Okay, so yes, I have um, rendered um, and embodied different sort of women um, throughout history and mythology, I suppose. But also some of these women are, yes, they are personal. They're from my own ancestry. They are um, women who have written books, um, women who've been shunned by history, um, women who have gone against the grain and are somewhat 
celebrated today. And for me, I find it quite ironic because in the times that they lived in, they were not um, as revered or respected. Um, and some of these women um, are a spirit of a woman, but not necessarily human. You know, um, they are sometimes monuments, um, mm -hmm. sacred, sacred monuments. And I have chosen to, not chosen, sometimes I've chosen and sometimes I've, I've been tasked by them to speak about some of their histories. And I do so through various works. So through sculpture, uh, what people call performance, but I call embodiments, um, through film, through installations and other media. So like through these, um... Like through these embodiments as well like there's also like a some aspects of the work where you are using like a double self so i'm also wondering like what is the the impetus to use like a double self is it also like a self examining is it an internal conversation that you're having with yourself or is it sort of like an external conversation that we are having with the two selves? Mm. Um, so in some instances, these selves, so I believe that I exist in a multiplicity of existences. And that is, um, I suppose, narrated through my ancestry. And so what you are seeing within the works, when you see both myself, where you can see my mm -hmm. face and my identity and um, the other self, that is um, wearing a beaded veil, that that person or that being is um, an ancestral figure. So I do, I do refer to them as my other self um, because I feel that they're an extension. I am an extension of them as they are an extension of me, but I'm mm -hmm. really talking about ancestry when I have them represented in that way. Yeah, so it's kind of like existing on multiple planes and multiple universes that are not necessarily far apart from each other, but that are existing at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's, yeah, it's not as far as people think. Um, literally, it's a veil away, you know, and I guess that's the beautiful thing about having the beaded veil as well, because it kind of speaks in a very poetic way about that. Um, I can be in this room right now and feel their presence. That is neither on their plane or my plane. It's just where we are at. So, yeah. So it's, yeah. So it's kind of like collapsing of time that your work embodies or like the outcome of that is, or the material of that is about collapsing time or just kind of collapse of time. It could be viewed like that. Maybe just in terms of like, what you're talking about, I mean, there's obviously like a, I mean, these are very real people that you are embodying and, and are expressing. And also even in history, they're also very like real figures that you also embody. But I think there's also an element of like the fictional that comes in your work as well. And I'm wondering how do those two aspects of like the fictional and the non-fictional speak to each other or inform mm -hmm. each other in your work? And does it matter that like, things are fictional in your work too. Um, I'm not sure. I guess that would be up to the, the viewer to, to know whether it matters that it's fictional or non-fictional. 
in most instances, it is non-fictional. Um, and I suppose then when, when it comes to the fictional, it would be concepts um, around time, as we have spoken about, um, or, or knowledge, or, um, but in a sense, whether it's non-fictional or fictional, it all goes back to speaking about a particular issue that we mm -hmm. can all relate to um, in some mm -hmm. sort of way or form. Yeah. Um, but then also, I guess, I guess in terms of maybe the fictional, non-fictional aspect, or maybe the, the collapsing of time in your work. Um, and I think I just want to ask a question that has to do with the theme of this season, which is about existentialism and Ubuntu. So like, do you see in your work, do you see or do you relate to like existentialism in your work or do you also see like a concept of or how does the concept of ubuntu manifest in your work i guess i haven't really thought about uh, my work in in those sort of terms or well pertaining to ex existentialism um but i do believe as a person um i've had these questions that in some sort of way um, has maybe influenced how my work has changed over time because at first I really thought that my work was just about celebrating black womanhood, not really realizing that um, I'm doing more than just reaching to the present. I am going far back into the past and in, in, in doing so I am acknowledging um, woman as well in the spiritual world. And what does it mean to do that as a person who lives in, um, um, in real time, who lives in the physical world, you know? And I suppose the questions in my work now, I have become very comfortable in them um, as it pertains to the spiritual realm, because these are conversations that I have with my own ancestors, but it wasn't always like that. Um, and I've discovered concepts like new animism, which mm -hmm. is the recognition of that everything actually is alive and exists, you know? Um, and it's, it's, it's in recognizing, it's kind of similar actually to Ubuntu, um, but it's not necessarily just, um, it's not necessarily just focused on human beings, but in everything being connected. And with Ubuntu, you know, it's a concept that I am because you are. Um, it's that communal feeling of like growing, growing a community or a nation. Um, and I guess like the notion of Ubuntu, like new, like black anarchism um, has been very contested um, in terms of how it has been used to simply commodify culture and homogenize Africa or South Africa as a tool for rain, of the rainbow nation and pro propaganda agendas. But um, Ubuntu can be seen as a critique of colonialist ideas. Um, and so I can accept that, that term as well in my practice, even though it's a very difficult term to kind of um, fully embrace. Yeah. Mm. Hmm, that's interesting. So it's you more relate to, uh, sorry, you said neo-animism as a term that kind of 
no, no, I both. I it's new animism, by the way. I I I think with all of these terms, you know, I can pick and choose the things that I feel within my practice or within what I've experienced with my own um, spirituality that I kind of bring into my work, but I can't necessarily say that they all represent what my work is or what I am Mm. because it's also like very constructed um, ideologies, especially the ones with new animism and existentialism and Ubuntu, yes, is closer to my culture, but it doesn't hit all the right notes for me. Right. It's like when language doesn't fit, doesn't fully encompass everything that you say or language cannot ever get to the Mm. thing that is indescribable in Mm -hmm. work but I think Mm -hmm. one thing I really like about your work is what you're talking about like a full rounding or full understanding of the self or history of or archive not just existing in one plane but existing in multiple planes but then also being attached to so many different people the ones that we see now and the ones that are not here, but even relating or even seeing how it's all related to everything that is just alive, like everything that is existing, breathing, and with us, continuum, mm. like a continuum. Um, mm. Like it's like connected to so many different things, you know? Mm. Um, and I guess maybe another question I had was about maybe as you work with archives as well like you dig up histories like how do you see your work living on in the future (laughs) well um it's a bit difficult because people do what they want with history or what has been recorded as history you know we've um toppled down statues um libraries have burned to the ground so um what you may envision may not be what people want. Um, But I suppose because I've worked very hard to insert um, Black women's histories, um, ancestral histories into the archive through um, museums, um, through um, historical books, um, through curriculums um, at universities, I think that's how the work will continue to exist and it may it may circulate more or it might be debunked, you know, she was like, oh, you know, she was talking a lot of nonsense, you know, but I, I think I'm not, I'm not too precious about it right now because I think I, I have done what um, I could do for my generation and for past generations, um, whether future generations accept it or not, that's up to them. Hmm. Well, that's an interesting place because I guess I'm wondering then your work is it for only the present if you're talking about what you've like you are you've accepted what you have done for this generation the future generations you're more ambivalent towards so in terms of who your work is for do you think it would only exist in this kind of for this generation not necessarily i just know like how i think about um architecture and how i think about um statues and in in essence permanence you know is that Mm. it's a very unrealistic and unnatural thing nothing Mm. is really permanent (laughs) Um, yeah yeah and like I said it might what I'm saying right now might make sense for this generation 
but by all means if the next generation thinks that this is utter you know <laughs> nonsense then they should they should throw it all away and i am not precious about it because well, we change we right. change over time and we should allow for this evolution to happen because we are choosing our identities as people and if those ideas don't work in that moment and they work they worked in the past then let it stay in the past you know and if there's someone who's like wait i want to take a bit of the seed to sprout it into my generation which is the future generation then they can do that as well mm yeah that's that's interesting that you feel there's like an ephemeral quality maybe that is not necessarily rooted in like the material the materiality of the work but maybe the ephemeralness of the work comes from the concepts and the ideas and the the histories that you're drawing on which mm. could be like more oral for example but not necessarily like physical like there's like the physical presence so is mm -hmm. it that you're not necessarily concerned with like the physical presence of the work but maybe it's more about like the the way it lives on in other forms that are not like physical so it could be like an oral thing it could be a feeling it could be in other time spaces um i don't know i think i'm talking about it in in every kind of regard i mean i don't expect that um every person within the next generation will chuck it away mm -hmm. but there might be some who say this is no longer relevant well the 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 vast majority may say this is no longer relevant for us right now and i'm not precious about it um whether it be materiality ideology or um yeah other forms but i mean so like the kind of sort of my work will always exist whether right. it is that people don't like it or they do yeah um, so that work that i've done won't necessarily um cease to exist but how people choose to carry it forward that's something else because my work is quite ephem ephemeral mm -hmm. you know yeah mm. Yeah, and I guess I'm also uh, wanted to ask you about your most recent work, the film Isimo. We mm -hmm. kind of go through a, a process of collecting and sharing indigenous knowledge, especially with like the, the children who are in the video. Um, and also like just this idea of like passing on the knowledge to a younger generation. Um, so do you have, is it, do, you, do you feel like a sense of hope or a sense of something that maybe this type of knowledge that you're passing down will become commonplace like it will be everyday knowledge that everyone just knows like i guess especially specifically in isimo you're talking about indigenous plants that are found on table mountain that have various like medicinal properties which is not something that like we everyone knows or is taught about in like regular life so do you is do you feel like maybe um this type of knowledge could exist in a more commonplace way or do you think that it already exists in a commonplace way i think there are communities that it exists in in that sort of form and in the future as well there'll be communities i don't know if it will be the blueprint for how life will be in the future because if you think about it the world is very loud the world um will continue to be fast-paced um beyond a pandemic, because at some point the world did come to a standstill, but we've found ways we've adapted to um, 
not being able to interact um, physically in the everyday in the ways that we're used to, everything has become online. And because everything is online, um, it means that life kind of continues, but it also means that we lack focus because we are being fed with so much information. Um, you know, you can go through Instagram and you see like thousands, if not like millions of pictures every day and how much time you give yourself online, you know, you are being influenced by so much stuff. So where is the space of quiet for you to consider things that I'm speaking about around wellness on um, in, in Isimo, you know, unless you've tailored your Instagram um, to be, uh, to show you things that are around wellness, like through the people that you follow, through the reels, you know, um, and also just actively like clicking on those instead of like some of the posts that are, um, I suppose, about other things, you're going to be fed the same information. So unless you, you tailor it for yourself, then it's going to be very hard for like a vast majority of people to just um, kind of be very in tune with what wellness means to them in terms of it being a physical, a spiritual and a mental thing, because it's really hard to get all three of them aligned. You know, you can be doing great in one way in, in the physical, you know, might be exercising every day, eating well, but you are not very, you're not feeling well, like mentally, you know, you're feeling depressed, you know, you have, you're worried about work, um, how money is going to come in or whatever it may be. So mm -hmm. it's really hard to, to get that balance that I'm speaking about in Isimo, but it's not impossible. Mm. Mm. Um, and I guess you spoke a little bit about like, I guess maybe now with the, I mean, we obviously all are in, have been in various forms of lockdown at different stages with the pandemic and everything. Um, has that time, as you have experienced it in your own space, has that time been like meditative for you in any way or has it like shaped how you're thinking about your work? Mm. It's been chaotic. I'm not going to lie about it. <laughs> Um, I don't think a lot of people were expecting this. And even if you may be as um, aligned as you may want to be in your life, you know, mm -hmm. something like this will shake you to your roots because it's such an unusual way of living. Even though you may be used to being indoors a lot, you know, as soon as yeah. you're told that you can't do something, um, you can't necessarily hug people, you can't... Um, touch them touch is a is a very big thing for people you know like touch the skin is the biggest organ on the body for it to feel touched is to get the immune system in itself you know um active and 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 healthy and so when you can't get things like that like like a hug like like intimacy it's a very difficult thing because of some virus you know um and then trying to figure out what I am supposed to be doing as an artist during this time is something mm -hmm. else because then you live in your mind a lot of the time mm -hmm. and you're not able to be in studio you're not able to produce in ways that you're used to that can be a challenge um, but sometimes these challenges actually um, I, I suppose propel us to 
to think about life in different ways and to question ourselves and to reflect. And those spaces are not always easy to be in, but they are necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've both enjoyed being um, under lockdown in different phases because I'm in the UK right now. And when I arrived, I wasn't expecting the kind of lockdown that there is here because, because it's so different to the lockdown in South Africa when I left mm-hmm. in March, I think it was. Yeah. Um, things here were very like like very locked down very strict and there were hardly any people on the street and also just coming to a small town like Norwich you know um there aren't many black people as well so that did not do very well for my mental illness um because I'm used to being active and being around my people and I came here and I didn't know anyone and the sky was gray I was cold and I couldn't necessarily speak to a person who looks like me either. Mm. Yeah, mm. and what what has your experience been like in the UK during your residency? The beginning was very difficult. It took me a very long time to kind of adjust to being here. Mm. And um, with every project, there's, there's um, difficulties. I couldn't find a lot of the materials I was looking for, um, which were plant-based but there were other materials that I couldn't find because not just because of geography and that you know, they don't grow here or because of the season, but because of the lockdown as well. A lot of short, um, shops and stores were closed. Um, and it's really is only now that the project is kind of coming together and I'm feeling more positive about it than I first did. Um, mm-hmm. I couldn't do a lot of the museum visits that would have um, informed my work, which I'm sad about, but I did get to go to, to the Powell Cotton um, in Birchington-on-Sea. And the other one was at Kew Gardens, which is um, in London. And yeah, it's been, it's, been a, it's been quite a journey. And like what other kind of, oh, can you talk about your project a little bit? Are you comfortable to talk about what you're working on in the UK? And also, I think you've mentioned that you've been working with an archive there so what is that archive and what kind of work are you producing Mm, okay so I am based at uh, the Sainsbury Center I got the UEA University of East Anglia um, Global Talent Fellowship Um, and during this time I will be looking at the spiritual purposes of snuff in my research there was a lot of um talk or a lot of um ideas around snuff as a as a pathogenic kind of material that people use for entertainment purposes but i wasn't necessarily interested in the recreational purposes of of snuff or that it causes cancer because of um, tobacco i was interested in it um, from a an african spiritual or south african spiritual point of view where in my culture as a Zulu woman we use snuff to make the veil thinner you know between the ancestral realm and the physical realm and we use it to speak to our ancestors so in a kind of a quirky way I want to look at um, what happens Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the realms when um, snuff is used and that's as much as I can say. Is it like weird to be doing this kind of work and research about something that is so culturally specific 
to being in South Africa, like in the UK? Um, not necessarily, because I haven't had too much interactions with people um, because of the lockdown. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess I'll only be able to um, have people speak to me or like engage with me with my interests around snuff um mm. when the exhibition happens which we're still trying to say the date but we've been very unsure about it because of the pandemic um so i'll only know then and i'm sure yes i will get like lots of questions about like oh you know as an african is it weird to be here in the uk you know um talking about such a culturally specific um material mm. but thus far it's just been me and the work really yeah mm. so it's like um yeah, I guess I'm also curious to see how that conversation plays out or like what people in the UK who maybe don't um, have like the kind of history or cultural history that you have, how they perceive like snuff and what it is and what it's useful and like what is that kind of connection. I mean, I'm sure the people who use a type of snuff in the UK or I'm sure their histories of that and like other knowledge, knowledge knowledges yeah. around that, especially like yeah, I guess, no. Yeah. Definitely, because um, it used to be like a, a pastime. It was used for recreational purposes. It was used to to court mm -hmm. women. Um, it was used um, to kind of also show off your wealth. You know, you'd have snuff parties, um, that kind of thing. And I, I believe that they're trying to bring that back, which is kind of weird. <laughs> and they are all, all kinds of... And there are all kind of um, snuff um, that's made here. I saw one that is made out of peanut butter, which I think is mm. gross, but, <laughs> you know, different strokes with different folks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but my center is not here. My center is very much South Africa and the African continent. So I, I think with those kinds of questions um people need to remember that as well you know um yeah that your centers go back yeah yeah because also what what kind of what kind of piqued my interest or the the my entry into thinking about snuff is that i was looking at the sainsbury collection and they had a 1970, I think it's 1973 snuff spoon that was from South Africa in their collection. Oh, and that, yeah. yeah. And so a lot of the objects that are in the collection are from the continent. So mm -hmm. that is also the context that they are speaking about um, African culture without context. And so I suppose my work mm -hmm. is putting context to um, what some of these objects that they have acquired by various means <laughs> um, <laughs> are for and experiences around them. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, archive, their archive. Their archive. That's so super. Is it, so I, I feel like it's super interesting because obviously these are objects taken from a colonial perspective, whether how dubious or not or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's like, um, yeah, I feel like it sounds like you're intervening and doing some good trouble, as they say, into their <laughs> archive. I like that, good trouble. <laughs> yeah, it's good trouble into their archive. I think it's it's really interesting because, you know, obviously it's the UK and like it has a, such a, you know, 
in-depth history with colonialism and this continent even the fact that you're saying they had a snuff spoon yeah you know how did you even get there and i guess maybe that's it's also interesting because that's those are the kind of factual things that you investigate in your work but then it's also interesting interesting to me that when you start to make your work how sort of like the other aspects come in whether they be it like the spiritual aspects or like collapsing of time or like the fictional aspects or like the embodiments which are very interesting ways to like disrupt this kind of archive you know Mm. yeah it's a it's kind of a new way of working for me I suppose like um being in in an actual museum and kind of responding to um two objects that and I've had this conversation with the curators um where I think it was like in the press release or something they said museum objects now I said to them please rather use um museum uh, I mean objects that um have been placed in museums and they're like what's the difference Mm. I was like museums museums don't give birth to objects these objects were taken and brought to a museum context and then they're Mm. like oh okay because yeah we need to acknowledge as well like you know that these objects had their own history they belong to a people Mm. the museum does not have the power <laughs> with you know to to have such culture and claim such culture yeah 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 that's true and even when they do now exist in the museum space like these objects were never meant to be in the museum to begin with they were never meant to be just on display they were supposed to be they were active and used things in these cultures and they were used as like the intermediaries between this world, the spiritual world, ancestral world, and the we use, yeah. Yeah. Much more, much more interesting ways, I, I guess. Yeah, um, but I also guess that we need to question what a museum is, you know, um, because maybe they were sitting um, in the context that they belonged in. They might not have been used, but the home can very much be a museum. No, absolutely. um family can be a museum Mm. but we I guess subscribe to like the western um, definition of what a museum is and and in doing so we've kind of um forgotten that there's so much importance and where these objects actually came from because the 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 where the geography or the location gives it its 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 um power and its um its purpose i suppose i'm also curious about in terms of the object like the museums and these things that are in these things from africa that are in these museums like how do you think about this idea of repatriation like taking those objects and giving them back to the original owners like for example there was a whole thing i think germany is going to give back some Mm. benin bronze sculptures to the people Mm. of and I'm wondering, I'm also wondering what that process is like once these things are not in Benin, like, will, like how, who will decide how they get, where they go, how they're used, or, you know, all those things. So I'm wondering, and maybe in the context of South Africa, like, if these things are given back, how do you maybe see them existing in their original context, quote unquote? Mm. Um, I'm all for it. 
I don't think that it actually is any of the museum's business how these objects will be used when they are back in where they belong because they belong to those people that they were taken from or that they were sold from if some were sold um and i think the people know what to do best with them mm. i think that there's a huge arrogance and an infantilization to believe that we need to first know that the, these institutions need to first know how these objects will be cared for by the people that they belong to. Um, I think that we should be given a chance to decide as Africans how we want our objects to be represented. And if they go to, to families and then so be it, like I said, family can be museum, you know, it does not have to be a structure, a building that houses um and curates objects and and, and and titles to say this is how things existed no <laughs> i think we need to allow people to decide how they're going to do it and i think it's it's, it's a wonderful thing that's that um is happening with the repatriation of the of of the bronzes um that are coming from germany um mm -hmm. And I've seen so many memes, they're quite funny, you know, and I, and, and I love, I love meme culture because it, it, it brings to the fore the politics that are happening in a very like um, whimsical and funny way. Because um, mm -hmm. I saw a meme where it was like Germany is bringing back the, the, the bronzes, you know, uh, or returning um, objects. And then you have a meme of like the Louvre and like the British Museum kind of just like looking to the side and like, oh, we're not doing that. Or like, we're not having that conversation. Like, nope, absolutely like, not. Like, especially, no. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's such an interesting thing because I think then again, like there's all this value being placed in the actual object. But then we, like you and I have spoken a little bit about ephemeral, like the ephemeral nature of art and maybe these and objects that you are creating. And so there's a kind of tension as well, right? There's like these historical objects that we, we want the physical presence of them, but at the same time, they also carry like this ephemeral things like these ephemeral knowledges or these ephemeral aura or something you know it's yeah. quite an interesting tension and maybe like these um objects or relics will get activated when they are in the places that they belong you know mm. that's the beauty of the ephemerality we need to also remember that if these objects are sent back to their uh, original context that it means that the country gets to benefit as well because you have people who come all over the world to come and see exactly where these objects are from and their functionality instead of having them in Europe where nobody really knows how they should be working even with the titles like the translation and the embodiment of that object is lost you know mm -hmm. and and I think a lot of these um, museums will not give back these objects because it's a source of economy for that country you yeah, know of it's, course, tourism, yeah. it's all of these things and and if some of these objects are from africa you're you have a whole continent that has basically um that is basically not benefiting from its its own like riches its own art its own um architecture its own like ideas of scholarship that i think mm -hmm. needs to be considered in in having this conversation of bringing the objects back home. 
And I guess this is why inserting yourself into the narrative is so important. I think we've talked about the different ways that or different approaches that you've done this. Um, and like what it means, like, you know, for the present generation, but also like future generations. Mm. Um, because having that, I guess, I suppose having like that sense of history, the sense of place informs your own present, even though you are not uh, sort of, you're not built on these things, but they do help to cultivate you as, not you, but like, you know, as an identity, as a nation, as a, not as a people, maybe is a better way. Mm, definitely. Thank you so much for being on this episode. It's been really a great conversation. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoy the UK. I hope all your projects go really well. I think we're all excited to see what comes out of that and also excited to see it when you bring it to South Africa or on the continent somewhere. So, yeah, thank you so thank much. Thank you, Paida. Thank you for having me here on Art Needs and it's been a pleasure. Awesome.